0: Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Ross Ramsey in Dallas, Texas. We're going to hear how God changes a leader's heart and the impact that has on a local church.
1: About four years ago, three and a half, four years ago, uh, my pastor was uh, just kind of frustrated with us not reaching our community. And so uh, like any staff member, I was just starting to look through stuff. You know, I was desperate, I guess, in some sense. Um, and then one day I was on Facebook and a friend of mine named Jeff Crick, who's a physician in Jacksonville, had a buddy of his named Troy Cooper come up and do a training in Jacksonville. And I was just looking at some of the pictures and they were baptizing somebody like within a day or two. And I just thought, what is this? Hmm. And so I, um, I called them that day, just, I think just to absolve my conscience, just to find out what it was. And he began to describe to me this training. And again, I was very cynical and jaded, didn't think much of it. And so, um, he pointed me to Troy Cooper and Troy Cooper um, kind of pushed me off. He was really nice, but he said, You need to talk to this guy named Ray Vaughn. So I talked to Ray Vaughn, and Ray could only talk to me on, on Friday at 7 a.m. And I talked to Ray, and I didn't, I really didn't understand what Ray was talking about. Um, training and you know, I'm like, oh, I don't want any more training. Hmm. And then Ray kind of just I lost contact with him. Long story short, I got back with Troy and Troy put me in contact with a guy named Don Waybright at, uh, first uh, at uh, Sugar Creek. And he talked to me for a while and sent me an email, um, with, uh, about what they're doing. And in that email, there was two names. Um, one was Jeff Sundell and the other was Kyle Pearson. And I just kind of ignored it, but I called Kyle Pearson immediately. Um, well about a day or two later, I called Kyle Pearson and I said, Hey, you're apparently doing this training in this area. I just thought he was like a rep or something. I had no idea who No Place Left was. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about movement. Didn't. It didn't even cross my mind. Long story short, I met with Kyle. And but why, um, why did you keep going, Ross? What? I don't know. I, I I think I was just trying to be polite and just follow up with these things, but I had nothing else, and this was what was keeps kicking. It was kicking at my door. And I felt like, okay, you know, I I just have a natural curious mind. And I just want to see what it was so I could check my box off. But what was really interesting was I met with Kyle and I called him and he immediately picked up the phone and I told him who I was. And um, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, nothing. And he goes, why don't you meet me at uh, Panera Bread on 121? And I said, I know right where it is right down the roof of my house. So I met him. And he was there with Aaron uh, Perbanic. And we start talking. And I'm real jaded. I'm just like, whatever. Uh, about um, two minutes into our conversation, their phones go off. And it's 10.02. And they go, do you mind if we pray? And I was like, well, yeah, sure. I'm not, I'm not against prayer. I mean, it was, you got to be pretty carnal to vote against that. And they pray, Luke 10.02. You know, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he, you know. And I thought, oh, that was kind of cute. <laughs> Didn't think much of it. And so long story short, we go, they show me the four fields makes no sense to me. I, I just was, I just wanted to get out of there. And, um, before I left though, I mentioned an apartment complex that had asked us to come in and do some stuff. And he goes, you got an apartment complex wants you to come in and do something? I said, yeah. So he's like, what are you doing next Wednesday? I go, uh, or, I'm sorry, next Tuesday. I said, I don't know. He goes, I'll be at your church at one o'clock. And just being nice. I said, okay, fine. And so long story short, um, that week, I I looked back at that email that Don Waybright had sent to me. And there was a name in there named Jeff Sundell. Hmm. And I looked at that and I go, I know that name from somewhere. And so I pulled out my prayer journal that I had kept since 2000. And I ran into Jeff in 2000, him and Angie at Southeastern, and they gave me a prayer card with their three kids. I mean, and all the kids are babies or whatever, really small. And he said, would you pray for me? And I've been praying for Jeff for about at that point, 16, 17 years every week, huh. never knowing I would ever run into him again. And so I immediately called him and go, you, I, and I call him, I said, Hey, I just met with Kyle Pearson and all this. And he said, well, i am be in Plato on Friday. So I met with Jeff on Friday, met with Kyle that Tuesday. Met with Jeff Sundell on Friday, and I'm sitting there. I hadn't seen Jeff in, well, 17 years at that point, 1999 or 16. And I sit down, and I'm sitting there waiting for him in the hotel, and he comes in, and he's got this big beard. Mm. I mean, big, I mean, he's just, I was like, I don't know about that. He looked mean. And I just like, hey, are you Jeff? And he's like, yeah, you're Ross. I said, yeah. I, I just want to meet you. I've been praying for you every day for or every week for 16, 17 years. I just want to, what are you doing? So he sits me down and begins to school me. And I don't know. Him. And I'm sitting there and he's just, he's got his whiteboard out and he's drawing all this stuff. And all I can tell you is it was, I know this sounds like hyperbole, but it was like, Jeff stopped talking and God started. Mm. And it just resonated with me. And I just was like, oh, my goodness, this is so incredible. It's like, where have you been my whole life? It was about an hour, 45 minutes. And I look up and Kumar is sitting across from me. He's in town. Chuck Wood is sitting across from me. Angie Sandel, um, uh, and um, Chuck Wood's wife was there. Uh, Aaron, and all these people were around me, and I had no idea. I, I was just so engrossed in what Jeff was doing. And It was at that moment I knew this is what I had to do the rest of my life. Wow. What was interesting was when I called Kyle, Kyle and Aaron had been trying to find a church in Dallas that would lo- lock onto these principles, and they couldn't find one. So they started fasting and praying for a week. At the end of that fast and prayer, I called him. And again, I didn't. And so that's where it really started for me. And then from that point on, Kyle started training me. And then just a series of God-like stories. Um, got, I eventually said, I've got to take this to my church. Mm-hmm. I can't keep it in my I was kind of embarrassed because I was knocking on doors and no one does that. And, I mean, that's like Jehovah's Witnesses and crazy people. And so I was kind of embarrassed about what I was doing, but I was seeing really neat things. And so my hand was kind of forced. And eventually I, I took it to our leadership of our church. And that was about three and a half years ago. And uh, of 16. So 2000, almost four years ago. And um, it just exploded when I took it to the lay people, and began to train them. And it just mushroomed out from there. It just became bigger than anything I could have ever imagined. So just kind of a, there's a lot of other details, but that's just kind of the beginning how how it how it started here
0: so so really, God found you, you know, persistent multiple contacts, uh, <clears throat> the breakthrough didn't come initially, but you just kept pursuing it, but in another sense, God kept connecting you with the
1: right people. Yeah, there was no question there were um I would say sovereign relationships that God had. I mean, I really look at it. I look back on it and I see him pursuing me with this. And um, there there was one, there were several key moments. There was one key moment we came back from the harvest, me and Kyle. And we had knocked on several doors and had several really great conversations. And he asked me a question. At the time, I resented it. He said, Ross, how often do you work? How many hours a week do you work in the church? And I said, well, 40 to 50, you know, crazy week, 50, normal week 40, 45. And he looked at me and And he goes, you get paid full time. I said, yeah, I do. Benefits. I'm like, yeah, it's one of those gigs. And he said, "Um, how often, how much of that time do you give to pursuing lostness? And I went, what? Out of 40 hours a week? I said, well, I call visitors and stuff. And he's like, no, no how much time do you give to pursuing lostness? And I thought you, punk, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. You don't work in a church. You don't, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And, I, but you know, I could not get that question. It just, it just sat in my crawl. And I thought I'm getting paid by a church and I don't pursue lostness. And it occurred to me at that point that I could answer my own Lord's prayer in Luke chapter 10, verse two, I couldn't be a laborer that was sent in the harvest and I was getting paid. And that's, that's when, it, for me, something clicked. That I got to do this if no one else does, and I'm so glad I did because I found out that there's a lot of people in our church in our community who are waiting for me to lead in this regard. But um, for initially, I just wouldn't. But it, God eventually forced my hand on some something. So, how are you changing as a person? Mm are you kidding it's rewritten me um, it's rewritten my um, my hunger for God uh, it's rewritten um, my marriage my parenting um, it's it's crazy how when you get on mission all these other things begin to change about your life it's not like you get on a mission and then you work on your marriage and you work on your parenting and then you work on your money and then you work on your purity mission is for me is like a shotgun and um, my intimacy, my prayer life, um, everything changed. Uh, and it gave me a greater hunger for all those things that I didn't have before. I think part, uh, part and parcel of that is because I became desperate for God. The harvest does that to you. When you're out there pursuing lostness, you, you, you really begin to see how, how badly you have to abide to do it. And so I kind of backed into abiding by getting on mission.
0: And so this shift is going on within you and um, you're out with Kyle in the harvest, you're changing. How did you uh, take what was happening in you and introduce it into the life of the church?
1: So, um, and that's, that's a great point. Um, This is probably where I struggle the most, even to this day because uh, so what happened was I was doing it and I, um, I didn't tell anybody. I told my wife and my assistant that I was, you know, I was going out in the afternoon with some guy to, you know. Anyway, well, God, I felt like God was telling me, you need to take this to your pastor and your leadership at church. And I go, no, I'm not. I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to do it. Then one Sunday morning, this is crazy. This is how God just kicks the door in if you don't. One Sunday morning, we pray with our staff and my pastor looks up at me and he begins to tell the story about Sugar Creek. And we had a guy from our church at our church that morning who was speaking. He was from Sugar Creek. He was doing some financial thing. And, and my pastor took him out to dinner the night before. And this guy starts to describe three circles, knocking on doors, follow-ups, you know, all the, the the kind of the four fields. And so my pastor's like, oh, my goodness, this is phenomenal what you're talking about. He comes back to me on Sunday morning. And he begins to describe to me what I'm doing. And I haven't said a word to him about
0: it. Wow!
1: And he looks at me and he goes, Ross, I want you to look into this. And I mean, I literally, I was speechless. I just was like, what? And it was like the hair in the back of my head stood on end. And I couldn't even say anything like, I'm doing this. I just sat there and it was like, God's like, if you ain't going to get him, if you're not going to take this to your leadership, I'm going to get the leadership to take it to you. And I immediately went back into my office, called my wife and go, you won't believe this. You know, that stuff I've been doing by this time. I had told her, I go, Chad has asked me to look into it. My pastor, she goes, God. she goes, Ross if God isn't telling you. And it was from that point forward that I pretty much put my foot on the gas. And that Monday morning, I went into his office and I told him, I said, Chad, you know what you described? I've been doing it for the last month and I just never told you. And he, and, I, and he kind of went, okay. I don't know if he ever connected the dots. I don't think we ever really talked about it. And from that point forward, I said, I'm going to bring this to the leadership of the church. And he said, great. And um, so I set a meeting for three weeks later on a Sunday night and I invited every single person I could. And me and Kyle got up and described what we were doing and, and set a training date um, for about a month later and invited everybody we could.
0: And what was the response to the training?
1: Well, what was interesting was, um, so that meeting was on a Sunday night. There was about 65 people there. I got up there and I began to tell them what I've been doing and what we were planning on doing. And all I can tell you is I was drenched in sweat. I was so, I just didn't, I, I just, the anxiety was so overwhelming. And so we get up there, me and Kyle kind of share what we've been doing for the last month, knocking on doors and how we had some follow up and some, we had a couple of salvations. And so we finish and there's crickets I mean, not a soul set. I mean, everyone just sat there and looked at us like, so what? And, and I thought, okay, my job, I think I lost my job. <laughs> and there's this lady named Louise Phillips who's 85 years old. Now she's almost 90. And she wrote, raised her hand. And she said, Ross, may I say something? I said, by all means. And she goes, Ross, for several years now, I want to say almost 30 years now, she says, I've been praying that God would bring something to this church that would help us to break into this community. And she goes, I think this is it. Wow. And I remember thinking, thank you, Lord. Well, Mm -hmm. that next day my pastor calls me into the office. He goes, that was a, that was an interesting meeting. And I said, yeah, he goes, Ross, anytime Louise Phillips speaks, it's a good meeting. And I was like, well, good. So um, we did the training um, almost three weeks later and had 45 people there. And, um, it was another, uh, day where it was another turning point in this where I just took a step of obedience. I put it on the under and I invited everybody I could to it. And, um, and, and so to answer your question, we had the training in the morning again, I'm nervous again. I'm, I'm drenched in sweat. I don't believe it. am and we model what we're going to do. We send all these people out into the harvest. I didn't tell anybody we were going to do that. That was kind of a bait and switch. Um, I don't know whether I should have done that or not, but I did it. So one o'clock comes around. We break them into groups of three. Um, and I could tell there was a tension in the room. It was palatable. And they were angry. Um, they're like, these were VPs. Super, you know, North Dallas is a, kind of a, a, a white collar, collar area. And so we went out. And I'll end here in just a second. We went out for an hour and a half, 15, hour and 30 minutes. I came back early um, and into the room where we were training. And um, no one was there. <laughs> I'm thinking, everyone went home. I'm in trouble. And I sat in the front of the room. And one by one, the teams came in of three. And they were laughing. They were crying. They were just, you could tell there was this energy about them. And they came in. And within about five minutes, there's about five people deep lined up wanting to tell me what just happened. And I said, hold on a second. I said, let's just all tell these stories together. So one by one, we had about 17 teams. There was about 45 of us, uh, 17 or 15 teams of three or something like that. Hmm. And each team had a significant story. In fact, a Muslim girl got saved that day. It was a part of our church for several months and ended up going to another group. But people were weeping; they were crying, and it was like an axe type to all that came in the room. And um, it was a it was a day that changed my life, and it changed the direction of our church. And what's come out of that?
0: What? How has it developed since that time?
1: Oh man, that's uh, that's been really interesting. So that was the first training, and to be honest with you. It had taken so much out of me. This is going to sound like a real paradox or a mm. contradiction. I was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I did that," but man, I don't want to do that again. That just wore me out. But I knew I had to do it again. Well, what happened was that was on a Saturday, okay, and um, several of the teams went back into the apartment complex that evening to follow up with people. And I mean, these are people that. And never, well, I don't say never, but r- rarely have ever shared the gospel in their own zip code. And it was just like, it was like the scales came off of their eyes. Mm. They just were like, whoa, I've got a tool. I can do this. And so that was Saturday night, Sunday. Um, w- w- my pastor, in our prayer time, again, we were praying every Sunday morning. He's like, man, you got to tell the church what happened yesterday. I said, okay. So I got up in front of the church and said, hey, we, we knocked on, you know, hundred some doors. We shared the gospel, you know, 70 times. We had 45 people uh, here the guy, you know, and, and, and then two, two, two or three salvations. And everyone's like, what is he talking about? And all those 45 people that we trained went back into their groups that Sunday and began to tell everybody about what they had experienced the day before. So those 45 people became in some sense an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. did what I couldn't do in the five years prior. They did it in a matter of about an hour. They went back in their churches and they told about their experience in the harvest and it began to change the church. Mm -hmm. And so not Mm -hmm. long after that, Kyle came to me and goes, well, you have to have a daily, a weekly harvest. I go, what? A weekly? What are you talking about? Like, you got to go back in the harvest every week. I'm like, dude, I could hardly handle taking a group out once a month. I mean, like every week He's like, yep. But we did one Wednesday night and it was a handful of people from the training came. We went back out. Same kind of experiences. And then Kyle said, Ross, you need to open this up. to us two nights a week. And I said, no, I don't think anyone would show up. So he goes, no, do Sunday night. I said, okay. So I opened it up Wednesday night and Sunday night. Sunday night, we had 30 people. And then it just went straight up from there. And um, so we go out twice a week now. And um, just crazy stories. Uh, That was three years ago. Thousands of doors, thousands of gospel shares, and now we're training uh, about every five to six weeks and the vast majority of the people we're training now are um, other churches. Uh, we'll have a training this Saturday sixty three people will be there. I would say forty five of them are from um, sixteen to seventeen different churches. so it's just expanded beyond my scope, and now we're tr- we have teams. Mm-hmm that travel around the United States, lay people teams that go and train other churches because most of the training, it, well, I'd say all the training isn't done by any, me anymore. I have teams that we've raised up, all lay people that go out and train different churches um, around, around the area and around the United States.
0: And what's been the impact in in your harvest field?
1: Uh, so, yeah. So let me start. Um, basically, what happened here um, is, is several things. One, the, the training became a pipeline for leadership. I, I, it raised all kinds of leadership I never knew about. Mm. People, I'm, And so I had now a new pipeline for leadership. Um, so that was the first thing. All these leaders that I never knew about really began to emerge. Uh, and this was the means to it. Secondly, we started eight groups. Um, we started probably a dozen in the harvest. And I would say most, if not all of them, uh, like flamed out within a matter of weeks and months, it was very difficult to get momentum. So we had several, I'd say have a dozen, maybe oh, about a dozen. And then we found bringing them to a location was a little more for sustainability. So we have now eight groups. Um, the big thing that really began to change in our church, um, is how many internationals began to flow into our church. Uh, The the number of foreign speaking people really began to flow into our church um, on an unprecedented level. And so that was something. In fact, um, Don told me that when they started doing this, that was one of the first things they noticed is that the world started coming to their church. It, we we're, we're typically a white, pasty, looks like me. Mm-hmm. And now our church is just all kinds of different uh, nationalities.
0: Okay. So you've got uh, eight, eight groups out in the community
1: that no, no, are. No, no, no. Those are on campus now.
0: They're on those campus meet, now. Those,
1: those meet in our, in, our, in our building.
0: Okay. But you've got eight groups that are essentially for new believers who've come out of the harvest.
1: Yes, yes. So when we run into people in the harvest, um, we invite them into the group. Now, let me make a a distinction here, at least in the States. uh, What the biggest group that we're running into, Steve, uh, just in terms of numbers, is people who um, affirm the gospel, at least verbally, who say, yeah, oh, yeah, I know about that. I've heard about Jesus. But when we begin to drill down with them, we find out they have no discipleship, no group. And so the largest group that we're running in here in North Dallas, even with some of the internationals, is they affirm Jesus. Mm. But in a group, actually opening the Bible is unheard of. And so our biggest invite is like, well, hey, would you like to be part of a group where we're just reading the Bible and studying it and trying to find out how to follow Jesus? And that's our That's what we've been a handful of salvations. And so what we learned was, Steve, in the past, churches do do canvassing. Uh, That's not uncommon in the States. But what they do when they go out to canvass, they're always going to go knock on a door to invite people to an event or to their church. What we found is if you knock on the door and start with prayer and start with the gospel, you always get to a much more healthier conversation about church and gathering versus if you start with Hey, I want you to come to my church. So what we found is if you start with the gospel, you get to a far more efficient, maybe lack of a better word, and healthier conversation about gathering in church than if you did it vice versa, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense.
0: So you're not just there to recruit someone to your church, you're there to connect them with God, to God and to offer prayer. And the whole tone of the conversation is around their relationship with God rather than yes. To exactly.
1: My and we found if you go that route, you you will end up talking about church. And by the way, we don't use the word church a lot mm-hmm. because it's got a lot of baggage in our context. So because everybody goes to church, I mean, everybody's. And so I, I don't use that word intentionally. I use the word gathering or group. Now, and I say, hey, do you have a gathering or a group you're a part of where you're just learning how to follow Jesus? And And it's amazing how many people go, no, that never occurred to me. And I'm like, well, Hey, we got a group that meets over here at 1030 and we'd love for you to join us. And and so we've multiplied several groups just based on that demographic of people that affirm the gospel, but no Um In terms of the city, uh, there's, there, you can kind of put it into two categories. One is people know who our church is. Um, we have a reputation. Um, and, and Good, bad, or indifferent, the police department knows who we are because we've knocked on so many doors. <laughs> they know who we are. They're like, oh, yeah, that's First Baptist. They, the, we, uh, we've we had so many interactions with the police department, I'd say anywhere between, but I know about 5 to 10. And they say every Sunday and Wednesday night, uh, well, specifically Sunday night, they get all kinds of calls. And they tell the people, that's First Baptist Allen. They're just wanting to pray for you. And so the police department knows who we are. Um and the other thing is, is just how it's connected us with so many needs in our community that we would have not known of. Um, it, everybody knows who we are and what we're doing. And so it just kind of it's raised the, I guess, just the good uh, peripheral view that we have in the community. Uh, and then other churches know about us. And so churches are sending people to us to train and we're getting other churches to join us in our community so we can knock on every door and have no place left. So we're partnering up with other churches in terms of or the larger context of the United States. That's really just word of mouth. Um, I fact, right before I got off, uh, got onto this, this video call or, you know, interview, I was uh, talking to two pastors in Nashville that, um, got word of it and want us to come up and train. And, um, he, here's the thing, Steve. This is this is this is the rub right here, the of the four fields. At least in the legacy church, every legacy church, if they're honest with themselves, will know they are failing at field one and field two. They will acknowledge that every day and twice on Sunday. Every pastor, if you begin to drill down in field one and field two, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're not doing anything," and so they rec- recognize this is a gap in their ministry. And so that's when, so when you come in here and you have practical tools and you actually do something to address those two things, we don't, they don't call them field one, field two, but they, they think they understand those categories very clearly. It's very uh, intuitive and it's very linear for them. So they recognize that this MPL stuff is meeting those two fields in an unprecedented way.
0: And field one and two is just reconnecting in, in, in unreached fields and sharing well, exactly. the gospel. They're yes. not doing yeah. that. Most the, the, churches aren't that, doing
1: that. Yeah. Well, they, they recognize that they don't have an entry strategy. Mm. And most of their entry strategies are only mercy driven. A backpack or a, or mm. a meal or, or cleaning up the park. And they recognize that they're, they're high on mercy. Their entry strategies are high on mercy, low on proclamation. And they know they're not equipping their people to, to get back to their oikos. They They know that. And when I I begin to talk like this, it's like I'm reading their mail. And the thing is, that's exactly what I experienced. And so I say, hey, do you have a strategy for entering into lostness in your community? And they're like, no. And then I go, do you have a way of equipping your people with a gospel tool? And they always go back to the old tools we used back in the day, you know, EE, evangelism, explosion, faith. And I begin to contrast those tools with what we're doing now and how those tools were great. And they were good at a time, but they were very blocky. They were, um, they took a long time to train. Faith took you almost eight weeks before you could finish the gospel presentation. EE was 13. Mm-hmm. You know, the beauty of MPL is within 45 minutes, I'm out on the street. Mm-hmm. That's a. that's a, that's a, that's a the, the turnover is so much, that's how you get to multiplication, is you've turned over training so quickly. And they recognize that that's something they hadn't seen. That, that's new across the board of all the tools we've ever used in the past. Exactly what mm. I would love to see what has happened in our church on this simple last three years to happen in multiple churches to reawaken the body of Christ to their identity as an ambassador of Christ and for millions of gospel conversations to happen that never happened before. And whatever is at the end of that, whether that's church plants, whether that's a uh, multiple discipleship, uh, I, you know, that's in God's court. But I, I really would love to see what we've experienced in these last three years that happened to other churches. That's, that, that's the, and, and then there's a part of me, honestly, that thinks maybe I'm supposed to go overseas. I just got back from India. I was an omnibod working with some MPL guys there and to see how different it looks over there. And knowing that that might be the trajectory for me and my family um, is certainly something that is always kind of helpful.
0: You can get in touch with Russ Ramsey and find out more about the training that he and his teams provide. Visit movements.net, look for the link on uh, episode 208 of the Movements podcast.